You're listening to Be Health Connected, a podcast by the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition. Your host for today's episode is Lauren Rimsbecker, BHC Senior Director of Member Engagement and Communications. Hello, I'm Lauren Rumsbecker, and welcome back to the BHC's Be Health Connected podcast. With COVID-19 variants spurring an uptick in cases and hospitalizations across the country, communities and businesses continue to grapple with questions around how to minimize future spread. This is complicated further by the impending flu season, leaving many to wonder if we will be facing a difficult fall and winter with two circulating viruses. To provide clarity around these concerns, I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Mary Fox, Chief Medical Officer and Advanced Illness Management Clinical Physician with the Visiting Nurse Association of Greater St. Louis. During this interview, we will discuss the impact of the pandemic on this year's flu strategy, as well as recommendations around COVID-19 boosters and the flu vaccine. Dr. Fox, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me, Lauren. I'm very happy to be here. Well, let's go ahead and dive right in and um, just start with the question that's really top of mind for all of us, but how do you expect that COVID-19 will impact this year's flu season? Well, this question has actually been in play now for the last several months. Um, It's an interesting question because last year we had extremely low rates of actual flu infections. It was the lowest on record with only about 0.2% of all flu tests coming back positive between September of 2020 and May 2021. Usually that's 20 to 30% of those tests will come back positive. So that was an incredibly low rate of infection. The other thing about this past season was that 52% of Americans received a flu shot. And that is also a record number. So we've got some um, some interesting uh, differences in, in how last year played out with respect to the flu. So because of that low incidence of the flu infection last year, um, the the circulating natural immunity that usually occurs when we have a flu season. There's there's people that do get the flu and there's natural immunity that the population has in relationship to that, that carries over into the next year. Well, we won't have that this year. And so there is a, a, a lot of concern um, in infectious disease circles that we may actually have a worse, possibly very severe uh, season for the flu. Um, and especially in vulnerable people, that could be catastrophic if we have what's called the twindemic going on, where you have the flu and COVID both circulating at the same time. That could be uh, very devastating. Um, the other part of that is that you and I are aware, and, and hopefully your audience is aware, that the flu and COVID have very similar symptoms. They're not identical, but they're very similar. So people are gonna have a hard time distinguishing which one they have. And, um, you know, the flu has an oral treatment um, that COVID-19 does not currently have. So we will need to be distinguishing those things in people that are infected. So what's a person to do? Probably what we ought to do all the time, which is, you know, to 
If you think you have symptoms of the flu or COVID-19, you need to stay away from other people, um, mask, use hand hygiene, those kinds of things that we're doing right now are really uh, helping a lot with respect to the, the spread of the COVID virus and obviously helping with respect to the spread of the flu virus. So, so when you're talking about getting a vaccine, um, the vaccine helps prevent most people, and sometimes you get about a 60% effectiveness rate um, in the flu vaccine, but most people will be prevented from getting the flu, so we won't be mixing up the flu and the COVID with respect to infections, and you're unlikely to get um, super sick by having both of them, both infections at the same time. That's really helpful to understand and, and hopefully giving people a little peace of mind. Um, but continuing this conversation around vaccines, I know there's been a lot of discussion recently about the COVID-19 boosters. So can you explain to our audience what they might need to understand about the boosters that are currently available? Well, the only one currently available and recently uh, scrutinized by the FDA um, is the Pfizer vaccine. Um, most people who did receive the initial round of immunizations received either Pfizer or Moderna. Um, and the predominant uh, vaccine was Pfizer um, throughout the country. Um, and what we started, because we've only been giving these vaccines for a little over a year now, I mean, we have, we have no, there's, there's, there's no history behind these vaccines in terms of COVID-19, you know, how long are they going to last, et cetera, et cetera. So the information that we're beginning to uh, uncover is that the antibodies that people get from e either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine tend to start waning around eight months. And that is not necessarily true for those who have actually had the COVID-19 infection. Those antibodies seem to be lasting a bit longer. But from the shots, they tend to wane around eight months, which is very similar to flu vaccines. Um, so the point of ever bringing up the idea of a booster shot was to say that, hey, we're noticing that immunity is waning. Um, shouldn't we give everybody a booster shot so that their antibodies are, are back up to a protective rate? Well, the conversation just recently, just last week, um, shifted and it's because those people that have been vaccinated, very, very few of those people, it's extremely rare actually, have had serious infections, even if they did get a breakthrough infection of COVID-19, especially the Delta variant, of course, um, their, their uh, cases were mild. Um, they didn't require hospitalization and they didn't, they didn't cause any major uh, side effects. So because of that, um, the FDA and CDC are backing off and they're saying, well, we're only recommending the COVID booster for those populations at risk, which, which basically are the usual suspects, those people that are 65 years of age or older, and they have lots of other chronic health conditions like obesity and 
lung disease, kidney disease, diabetes, those kinds of people they are recommending go ahead and get a booster shot to help their immunity um, and uh, protect them against uh, breakthrough COVID. Um, if, if anybody's got those things that's listening or knows someone in their family that's got these kinds of risk factors, um, I would suggest they sign up and get them. As I understand, they are readily available um, throughout the Missouri area and in throughout the country for those that need them. And for those that are eligible to receive the uh, COVID-19 booster and, and fall into those high-risk categories, are there any concerns around side effects or, or timing of the booster in relation to the flu vaccine? Yes, I would say there are concerns, but they are anecdotal, meaning that it's just uh, individual people's fears about, well, I didn't react well to the first one, or I had a bad reaction to the second one. And usually when someone says that about the shot, what they're talking about is, is, is body aches, fevers, headaches, those kinds of things that they had after they had one or the other vaccine. I personally had both of them and I didn't get any side effects. The problem is that you just can't predict, oh, you're not going to get side effects this time or you are. Um, and so those people who did experience those kind of bothersome side effects uh, are, I would say, reluctant to, to consider getting a booster because they're afraid they might get that. And they're, they're additionally concerned about getting a flu vaccine at the same time because they're worried that perhaps they'll have side effects from the flu vaccine and then you'll have double whammy when you get the vaccine. Actually, I don't, there's just no way to predict that. And there's no studies looking at anything uh, about that. In fact, what is in the literature right now is that they can in fact be given on the same day and they probably will be given on the same day to a lot of people. Um, that I'm talking about COVID-19 and the flu shot um, and Moderna is working on a, a combination vaccine actually. So you'll get both of those in one shot. So are, are there concerns about side effects from the vaccine? Sure. Um, do you think a booster is a good idea? I think it's a very good idea for people that are in these high-risk categories, and hopefully the rest of us will get them eventually. And, you know, sort of tagging onto that, um, you know, understanding that obviously COVID-19 is more serious in older populations, those that have some of these chronic uh, diseases and risk factors. Um, but we know there are still, you know, young adults and children out there, and, and we're eagerly awaiting um, some of the uh, age approvals for the COVID-19 vaccine uh, in younger age groups as well. So just wondering if you can speak to, you know, why we should consider vaccinating these younger populations too, um, and some of the benefits that, you know, might come from that. It's a very good question. Um, if you could look historically at how vaccines uh were developed and then the recommendations that came on when to give them. The bulk of all the vaccinations that we receive as a population are given in childhood because basically kids and young adults are incubators and they spread uh, viruses and other types of illnesses very quickly through the population because it's usually the parent, grandparent, aunt, whoever is taking care of the kids 
when the kids come down with an illness. And so it's just almost impossible to keep a kid sterile. So um, when you do that, when you vaccinate children for whatever it is that we're vaccinated against, and I'm talking about all kinds of things, we give, in fact, hepatitis B immunizations in childhood, even though that's not a real high risk disease in childhood, but it's so that these people will be immune later in life. Um, so it's, it's very important to consider the fact that because young adults and children may have the disease and may have it in a much more minor way than, than those who care for them, those who care for them that are older adults can get extremely ill. And it just makes a whole lot of sense to go stop the spread of flu and COVID uh, by vaccinating your children. As we think about our audience specifically, we have a lot of listeners that are our business leaders and the, the HR and the benefits departments of large organizations. So just wondering what recommendations you have for them in you know, educating and encouraging their employees to receive uh, both the COVID-19 vaccine and the flu vaccine as we come into this fall and winter season. Um, yeah, I, I think it's the most important thing that, is, that it's been for our organization is that there be a good management team in place that exemplifies or models proactive behaviors with respect to the COVID and the flu. I mean, basically the same sort of measures that you're taking for COVID-19 have drastically improved or decreased the, the uh, impact of the flu. Um, and so if you have your, your leadership teams demonstrating to um, to the, the rest of the, the staff, the rest of the employees, what kind of safety measures should be put in place and then acting on those safety measures, that's gonna make a big difference. I mean, everyone has, should be on the same page. In, in our organization at the, at the Visiting Nurse Association, we put, we were about two weeks ahead of the wave. Um, and that we, that means that we put in the measures of distancing, uh, hand washing, working from home, those kinds of things into place about two weeks before the, the biggest surge came in March. Um, and because of that, we did not have any intra-office COVID infections. Now, it doesn't mean people didn't get it when they were at home, they did, but no one got it in the office and no one became ser seriously ill. So, um, I, I think you, we have to be models of good uh, infectious disease behaviors. <laughs> if we do that, the rest of people will follow along. Um, and it's, it's just, uh, we also make, we put some mandatory stuff. So when we put these protocols in place with respect to hand washing, distancing, wearing masks, it's not a, a, a voluntary Thing. We say everyone who comes into the office must do these things. Um, and that's what happens. No, but there, we don't make exceptions. People must do these things. And now we've made uh, a mandatory uh, uh, stipulation, which many of the health organizations have now, hospital systems, et cetera, that everyone must be COVID-19 vaccinated, um, unless you have you know, specific dispensations you will need to, to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And also we have made that 
that uh, um, a stipulation for the flu vaccine as well. So um, hopefully in doing that, we can just get people to go ahead and get it and we'll have what's called herd immunity, which everybody talks about. That really requires probably about 70 to 80% of people within uh, a particular population to be vaccinated. And then those that aren't vaccinated will be protected by the majority of people who have been vaccinated. And that's really what we've been trying to get to. And it's the same for any vaccine that we've ever given. That's the target that we're trying to, to get to so that if there is a breakthrough of things such as measles, et cetera, it will not impact the entire population in a pandemic like, like this one. Dr. Fox, your clinical insights are, are very much appreciated. And I really just want to thank the, the Visiting Nurse Association for leading by example, as you said, and, and really helping to advance vaccination and, and public health in our community. Um, as we close today's episode, uh, just wondering if you have any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with our audience. Well, there were two things that I was thinking about, Lauren, um, that I, I, I hear an awful lot. And, and there's, there's a lot of reluctance, uh, vaccine reluctance um, in terms of this particular vaccine. Um, some of that comes just because it seems like we developed and produced this thing in lightning speed. So, you know, in a, with, within a year, we, we had a vaccine and we, we gave it. And it makes it sound like we kind of speeded it along with respect to developing it, et cetera. But honestly, this type of vaccine has been in development at least 10 years, probably longer. Um, it's this RNA vaccine, which this particular one is, they've been working on that since the outbreaks of a similar types of viruses that occurred in China way back. People will remember, you know, some of those SARS vaccines that we were very concerned were going to cause a, uh, a, a pandemic at that time. COVID-19 is a SARS vaccine. So that development started over 10 years ago. And the reason why it was able to advance so quickly is because we have a lot of worldwide global information sharing among scientists. So everybody knew this vaccine was there. Everybody knew that it was effective against certain SARS vaccines and they, they just simply inserted what needed to be inserted within that existing vaccine for COVID-19, specifically for COVID-19 and then developed it from there. And that's why we got it done so quickly. I mean, that's why we had it. It's not because we just made it up and started giving it to people. It had already been tested against other SARS vaccines. So that's one. The other one is, you know, there are, you can say that you know, many and most people do get minor infections with COVID-19. They don't get severe infections, but there's an awful lot with respect to this Delta variant um, that do. And we've had over 600,000 deaths in the United States. Now that proportionately is less than say the, the Spanish flu epidemic of 1919, but it is the same number on absolute terms that happened when we had the Spanish flu. So it, for many people, it will, it will either kill them because of the severity of disease or 
it will disable them. I mean, a lot of people have very serious after effects from a COVID-19 infection. Um, and they will go on for months and months and years and years. Um, in fact, I just had one of my long-term patients on the AIM program who had underlying chronic conditions and got a COVID-19 infection just before she got her vaccine last year. Um, and um, she just recently passed away from the complications that occurred from the COVID-19. So yeah, you're not gonna see everyone getting extraordinarily sick, but when the hospitals are full, it's a real problem. We can't get other people in there if all the beds are taken up by seriously ill COVID-19 infected people. So I just say, just get the vaccine as vaccines have been demonstrated for hundreds of years to be very effective in lowering infectious disease rates. Thank you for listening to the Be Health Connected podcast. For additional episodes or to learn more about employer resources available through the St. Louis Area Business Health Coalition, please visit www.stlbhc.org.